Actress and activist Susan Sarandon is producing a new documentary about one of her inspirations, the glamorous Hollywood actress Hedy Lamarr, whose secret life as an inventor influenced history and all of our lives. This is Pop Culture Confidential. Hi, I'm Christina Yerling Biro. Thank you for listening. Today I get to talk with and about two incredibly talented, bold, and fierce women whose mark on the world cannot be denied. Susan Sarandon is one of America's finest actors. She starred in films such as The Rocky Horror Picture Show, Bull Durham, Thelma and Louise, and Dead Man Walking, for which she won the Best Actress Oscar. And throughout her whole adult life, she's been strongly committed to social causes and to being a force for good in our world. Starting with the Vietnam protests and then the civil rights marches, she protested the Iraq War and advocated for LGBTQ and women's rights. And just now, over Christmas, she spent a week on Lesbos, Greece, meeting refugees and sharing their stories. Susan Sarandon seems to have an abundance of energy and curiosity, whether it be working at her New York City ping-pong club, acting, producing, or shedding a light on an issue important to her. And then Hedy Lamarr, born in Vienna, 1914, who fled from her Nazi collaborating husband, and as the story goes, negotiated herself with MGM boss Louis Mayer for the pay she found acceptable. Hedy Lamarr became a huge Hollywood star, known as the most beautiful woman in the world. She was a free spirit and married six times. But she had a secret. As it turns out, she was a brilliant inventor, who in the midst of World War II co-invented a radio control technology meant for 1940s-era torpedoes. The invention would ultimately pave the way for secure cell phone communication, Wi-Fi, and so much more. But as is the case with many famous women inventors, it took decades for Lamar to receive the recognition she deserved. But now, in what seems like a sisterhood across decades, Susan Sarandon will executive produce and narrate the documentary Hedy, about Hedy Lamarr's amazing life and fate. The movie is produced through Sarandon's own predominantly female-driven reframed pictures and directed by Alexandra Dean. Ms. Sarandon, it's such an honor to talk to you. Thank you so much for being here. Well, I'm just thrilled to be able to talk about Hedy. This is really the first interview I've given on this project, so... Uh, thank you for, for having me. Well, thank you. You say that Hedy Lamarr is an inspiration. Why? Well, here's a woman who was honored and revered for, you know, how gorgeous she was. And it turns out that she's this closet scientist uh, who, you know, was so well-intentioned when she gave her invention to the Navy that she didn't even ask for credit and didn't even put it in her name. And um, I think she just, you know, what came of it, it, it you know, that the most beautiful woman in the world was also the secret inventor and used her free time to co-invent a radio control technology that now we're using in our cell phones and, and everything else. And, you know, I, I think it's just extraordinary. And it ties in with the fact that, you know, she didn't get credit and the fact that everyone is surprised that you can have a brain and be gorgeous ties in with the fact that um, we don't have role models for young girls uh, to go into science. You know, considering that women represent 47% of the U.S. workforce but are really underrepresented in the sciences and engineering with only 25% of the jobs in those industries, 
says that we have to really look and encourage girls to be able to imagine themselves in these fields because that's the only thing that really stands in the way of them succeeding in these areas. You know, if you can't imagine yourself doing something, then it's really never going to happen. And so being able to tell this story, which is so full of, you know, she was married five or, I think, six times. Six times. And, yeah, and, and she was wild, you know, just a wild woman and absolutely gorgeous. And from the very beginning was going against convention and removing herself from situations that were toxic and, and going to Hollywood, which may not have been less toxic, I don't know. But anyway, gave her more options. And she was controversial for the beginning. Her first movie, Ecstasy, she was one of the first women to show a female orgasm. Yeah, I mean, i got to look at that movie. I haven't seen it. <laughs> find that movie. People are pretty spooked still about the female orgasm, right? I know. I was very disappointed in Fifty Shades of Grey or how many shades of grey that was, that they just <laughs> did all of this dying and you never once got one orgasm. I don't understand how that was going to be true. Um so, yeah, the fact that you can have all this, I think it just opens up the perception for women and men to understand that we're really um, coming up short when we don't open those doors to women. And, and, and it's so, so sexist. I mean, some of the, the quotes that I've heard are uh, just crazy about, um, where was it, the, the Nobel laureate, Tim uh, Hunt, advocated for gender segregation in science labs because in his experience, quote, women fall in love with you and when you criticize them, they cry. Oh, yeah, wow. <laughs> Got to get way past that. It's so shocking. It would be as if, you know, Angelina Jolie in the midst of, you know, the war on ISIS suddenly took out a pad and scribbled down some formula for something that would have changed the course of the of the war. Um and I, I, so it's really a fun story, you know. It's, it's fun, uh, but it's also sad that, uh, you know, what happened to her at the end and, and that she didn't get recognition and that she, she ended up somewhat alone and unrecognized and unrecognizable because of bad plastic surgery. Because that's a very sad part of her story. It seemed like her beauty was her fall, and, and, and aging was incredibly hard for her. Well, I, I'm, I think that when you, you know, I'm in, I live in New York, and I think that that really helps uh, as you're getting older in that business because there's so many different uh, businesses that exist in New York. And, you know, at a certain point, you can focus on, what's on the inside and not just the outside. And when you're in Hollywood or, you know, and you're living that life and you're scrutinized, you know, while you're buying a head of lettuce at the grocery store, mm-hmm. I think it's very hard to hold your center. I, I understand, you know, if you, she came a, in, she became famous not as an actor but as a beauty. And so that was so much of her identity, and since the science part of it was still in the closet, and no one was really capitalizing or rewarding her for her intelligence, so much of who she was um, was tied up in the way she looked, which makes it so much harder when inevitably that starts to change. I mean, there's this, if, if that's where your basket you're putting all your eggs in, you're, you're going to have a a downfall at some point because it's just you can't fight gravity, you know, you can't fight it. 
How have you made appearance not define you as an actress? Well, I never saw myself as a great beauty to begin with. I was always saw myself as a character actor, and I had a sense of humor about the business because I never really, I never studied acting. I never thought that's what I was going to be. I kind of fell into it, and uh, and I always saw my career as a uh, a means to an end, but not a defining. Uh, not an identity definer. Now, this is not to say that I didn't have my ups and downs and disappointments about, you know, not getting parts, but I wanted parts to challenge me more at a certain point. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was drifting further and further out of the business and more into hands-on politics coming out of the late 60s and 70s. It was, that was part of my DNA. And then I was blessed with a child at the end of, you know, my 30s. And, and that was kind of gave my life more meaning just at a point when I was kind of had demystified the business and, you know, felt as if I wasn't really um, getting challenging parts. And I was okay with that and focused on her. And then Bull Durham came along. I, every time I did something that should have ended my career, somehow I managed to stay afloat. But um, I never really saw my career as something that defined me, and I was determined to use it rather than be used by it. So mm -hmm. in that sense, I had an advantage as I started to get older. I mean, I did full derm when I was 40. Right. And right. Um, that was, you know, the first part that was really bigger than I was, and I was so happy. That was a career changer, or maybe not a career changer, but a life changer for sure because it restored mm -hmm. my faith and and uh, what could happen in the movie. And, of course, I met Tim doing that, and that changed my life. So I think that seeing myself as a character actor and not as a an ingenue and then a leading lady um, gave me a broader base to build on than somebody who played themselves over and over and, you know, was really a gorgeous person. I never really saw myself. I thought I was passable, but I never thought of myself as a great beauty. Well, that's hard for us to, to see because you really are. One thing I really appreciated in your career, um, which seems to be um, what you appreciate with Hedy as well, if I'm not mistaken, is a strong woman, but with a very complicated life. I mean, life costs something. You're not just strong. Um, are you drawn to that type of character? Well, I love women. And, you know, it's funny to me that uh, people think I play strong women because when I'm playing them, they feel very vulnerable. I mean, you know, Dan Selman Louise, she's vulnerable. And I think vulnerability is a strength, to be able to be on screen and be open and allow for possibilities is, I think, what sometimes people read as sensuality. I mean, I think of myself as a really good listener, uh, and that shows on screen. But I think that all of these parts, Sister Helen, that we, we work very, very hard to make sure that all along she's pulled in and pulled in and pulled in. She doesn't start the movie saying, I'm going to change the death penalty. She doesn't, you know, that's not what heroes are about. They're ordinary people who, in extraordinary circumstances, go towards the light, go towards the truth. And all the films that I have done, I always see as love stories. I always see as people who are choosing to be the protagonist in their own life. But the, it might be White Palace, you know, where she finally has to leave the guy and stand up for herself. And in what seems like a strong move, but will cost 
a lot. And I think all the women that I really admired on screen, be they John Moreau or Silvana Mangano or, uh, you know, all of these European actresses um, have that kind of uh, vulnerability, which is not to be confused with being a victim. But I think that's what you have to go for in your life is some kind of authenticity mixed with kindness, mixed with, you know, something that says, I say yes to life. And if you're saying yes to life, then you're definitely making yourself vulnerable. But I think that's the the choice. And I say this having burned and crashed a number of times. <laughs> Which is what's so interesting with Hedy's story, of course, that, that it, it, I mean, it, it's the truth that none of us are just strength from the beginning. We have to go through things to get there. Absolutely. Once you, people that I admired have all fallen and risen again. And because they have, they, they become you know, you know, somebody to admire. I think Hetty had a problem because also she's someone I can glean from the story that we've seen so far. She didn't have a lot of female friends. I mean, she didn't have, you know, I have core friends that I've had for 40 years. They're not all in the business. I don't see all of them all the time. Uh, some of them are women. Some of them are gay men. I don't find that very many guys that I've actually been with you know, in relationships, stick around once you split. But um, in terms of my gay friends or my women friends, I've had these people in my life forever, you know, through my decision to have uh, a child out of wedlock in the beginning when nobody had kids that I knew, you know, they stood by me. And I think Hetty suffered from, first of all, being in that town and secondly of all, um, seeing herself as only accepted for her beauty it came from also being in that town, and I don't think she had, you know, a really great group of of support, a, a group of friends that she could really count on, and I think that made it much more difficult for her as she, you know, aged. Looking back, um, you were talking about before that part of your strategy for survival, and not even strategy, part of your survival has been your passion for social causes. When you look back today, what has been some of the most controversial cause that you have had, that you've led, or the biggest shitstorm? Well, of course I came of age at a time when, you know, the news still showed you what was going on. And so, you know, the civil rights movement in the South was obviously something you should be part of. Vietnam was obviously something you should be against. And, you ha- you know, you didn't have the Internet, but you had some images, and so, you know, if, if you had half a brain, you were against the war. Um, it became, I think, more difficult as we lost uh, information and media became more corporate, and I guess the one that, um, you know, there have been two things that have really put me on lists that be- where my life became quite difficult, and uh, definitely the objection to going into Iraq the first time and the second time especially because there was such a psychic wound in the United States and to try to slow down the march to war was seen as being anti-American and that was definitely part of the administration's strategy. And so to be set apart from the herd, from your tribe, and getting death threats and having my kids being picked on in the news and having oh, wow. became very lonely hmm. um, and kind of scary. Uh, the other time at the Academy Awards when the Haitians at Guantanamo were, 
were dying because they'd been there and been deserted there and had been promised to get out the HIV patients. And uh, we did the thing at the Oscars. That got me banned from the Academy Awards until I was nominated again. But that hit a nerve with people uh, who were racist and homophobic and who felt that somehow these people were going to take their bed in the hospital or something. You know, it's always at the heart of it some kind of, of ignorance. The getting arrested about the Diallo shooting had a ramification in the city with a lot of the police that were here. You know, I found a lot of harassment after that. But I guess the biggest one at that time when everyone was so frightened was definitely the lead up to Iraq and when you're called the bin Laden lover and everything. But even in the early days of AIDS, before anyone was talking about it and everyone was so frightened, because no one understood it. And I think I was one of the few women that went to the early demonstrations. And um, even that was, uh, you know, when people are afraid, they have a tendency to attack whoever is standing in the front. And um, so any of these issues where people are coming and encouraged to come from a place of fear, because that's how, you know, we have a culture of fear now. That's what's going on in the United States. Anytime that happens, then, uh, you know, if you're standing up, you're going to be the first target. Um, but the prop, I mean, for me, you know, it's always harder to live with myself when I don't say something, when I don't take advantage of my position connection in the media. And I've always felt that I, I'm just a little flashlight trying to give out some information that I don't have the answers necessarily, but that I can ask questions which other people would like to ask but don't have the opportunity. You you just endorsed Bernie Sanders. I get the feeling that people are kind of disappointed that you, you're you not going for Hillary. Um, there are some women that are disappointed, not all. Um, Hillary Clinton lost me when she voted for the war, and she doesn't, her ties with Monsanto and with Wall Street and a lot of other corporations signal to me that she doesn't really reflect my position on important issues. She was very, very late to get behind gay marriage, and she's been very wishy-washy on abortion. So I'm insulted as a woman to think that other people expect me to just vote for her because of her gender. I think women are smarter than that. I would love to see a woman in the White House. I believe we will have a woman in the White House. Had Elizabeth Warren run, I would have definitely been behind her. But Hillary Clinton, for me, is business as usual. Bernie Sanders has a record that's just impeccable. And he's been in the House, he's been in the Senate. What he did when he was the mayor of Burlington is amazing. So for me, you know, issues count and your record counts. And I want somebody in the White House who has a moral bottom line that holds up when it is not the politically advantageous thing to do. And if you Google his speech on the Senate floor when we were voting to go to war, he was right on in every single point he's made. And I know that he's, you know, I've spoken, I'm about to go on the road with him for four days. And I'm going to Iowa on Tuesday. And I know that the millennial women are not intimidated by the pressure to vote because he's, she's a woman, they're listening to what's going on. So there are people who feel that they owe it to her, but I feel she owes it to us to be, you know, in the right place all along the line. And I, you know, I'm more concerned with what that symbol will do once they're in the White House and getting that symbol 
into the White House. Well, hearing you talk, you're so energetic and, and you're so passionate and well-read. And in several interviews when I was doing research, you say, I'm a little bit lazy. I don't know why you say that. <laughs> I am passionate, but I have to say, like, you know, the idea of, of giving a 30-minute speech and writing something, I just am flummoxed by, I'm not, a, I'm not someone that's comfortable as a speaker. Well, not as a speak, but you do everything else. You, you you shine a spotlight on so many things and give your voice to them. I mean, you don't have to give the speech to be, to have the energy. Well, for instance, when I went to, to Lesbos, I mean, for me, it was important that I not go affiliated with any group, that I went and wasn't talking about me, but just was there to be a conduit to let them speak, to let them explain who they are, to clarify you know, all the different kinds of people that are that are there and why they're there and what they left behind and what they hope. Mm -hmm. So I can do that, you know. I don't I didn't want it to be about me and what I was feeling and everything else. And I and I and I'm happy that, you know, some press was able to get it out there, but it was important that I didn't have an agenda because I was trying to learn too and I and I hope that my curiosity continues, you know, that I'm open and, and, and into my, you know, golden years or gray years or whatever they call them. Um, because I think that's the secret to all the people I know who have, if you want to get back to aging, who have aged in a way that I respect, have continued to be engaged. You know, and, and I think that's what we want. Even with my ping pong club, the whole point is connection, connection, connection. Communities where people can connect. So in, in that sense, I... I am very passionate, and I, and I think that with Bernie Sanders, you know, if he doesn't make a run for it, this will be, it'll be another 30 years before we find someone who has gotten so far without taking any corporate money, because in the United States, it just is impossible. He's, I mean, there's nobody else. You know, he's managed to do it his entire career. You were talking about your own, um, what happened at the Oscars in 93. Do you have any comment about the Oscar, what's going on now, the, the diversity issues? Well, I, the body of the Academy definitely needs to be younger and more diverse. I mean, that's been true for years. And I think that if we all pay attention and, and you know, nominate other people to come in, that it's, it's, it's definitely doable. Do you think there should be a boycott? Well, I don't know what a boycott's going to do. You're, you're not going to notice, you, you know, you never notice who's not there. I mean, it, I think Chris Rock can do more with his humor and his perspective by going. I mean, I, you know, I don't know who is going to hurt to boycott the Oscars. I mean, I don't usually go. I'm going to the SAG Awards because I'm nominated and I'm presenting the In Memoriam part, but I'm not going, I never go to any of these things unless I am nominated. So, you know, I, I I don't know about the boycott. I think that we need to change the uh, makeup of the academy. If Hetty would have been in your group of friends that you were talking about, would it have been easier for her, you think, today? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think so. Absolutely. You know, because also my friends are really funny. <laughs> my, sure. My friends have a sense of humor because what happens, what always is the downfall is all about Life is all about how you frame it, right? You know, and where, how much of a sense of humor you have and what your perspective is. And, and it's so easy to lose perspective, especially in that town. It's so easy to lose perspective. So if, if Hetty had had, you know, my friends, they would have, you know, 
they would have said, said lighten up a little bit or something, or miserated with her, or, or said, you know, let's go get high and dance our asses off. Or, <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much, Ms. Ren. This is so interesting. I'm so excited to see this project, and thank you for your time. You're so welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much to Susan Sarandon. Her documentary, Hetty, directed by Alexandra Dean, will be out later this year in theaters and on television, winter 2016 or early 2017. And thank you for listening. Don't miss next week when I talk to Mark Ruffalo, director Tom McCarthy, and Boston Globe journalists Mike Resendiz and Walter Robbie Robinson about the Oscar-nominated Spotlight. And follow Pop Culture Confidential on Twitter at PodPopCulture or visit the website PopCultureConfidential.com. This show was edited by Tom Hansen, theme music by Carl Boy, and produced by Rene Wittestedt and myself. I'm Christina Jörling Biro. Thank you so much. You've watched them in unforgettable adventures, love affairs, and tragedies. Now it's time to hear their own remarkable stories. From the makers of Death of a Rockstar and Death of a Sports Star, this is Death of a Film Star. Starring Heath Ledger, Marilyn Monroe, Chadwick Boseman, Robin Williams, Carrie Fisher, and Bruce Lee. Search for Death of a Film Star in your podcast app. You've seen them tell stories. Now it's time to tell theirs.